The mid-80s is where the Italian football story becomes a little bit more complicated. In the beginning, it was easy. The fascist government formed a league which was used to spread fascist ideology. In post-war Italy, there was social and political unrest in the nation. Far-right and far-left terrorist groups were fighting in the country. Of course that runs into football. After all, these ideals do not live and die because of football fans. It certainly helps to grow the ideas, but they were going to grow elsewhere regardless. And it's understanding that idea that is key to understanding Italian football fans when things get complicated. There's a major shift in Italian football culture at this point. In the same way that politics seeps into football, Italy's world of organized crime starts to do the same. Paddy Agnew. The first thing, if you're trying to understand what's going on in Italian football, is that whereas in other parts of Europe, clubs tend to have a very clear, uh, a certain part of their fan base tends to have a very clear political political label. Like they're, they're neo-fascists, they're very far right. A small minority of them are on the left, right? Italy's different in the sense that the biggest political involvement and the most worrying political involvement uh, in Italian football concerns organised crime, because organised crime, the various mafia, look on these gatherings of hundreds and thousands of uh, young hotheads every weekend to go to a football match as a perfect uh, recruiting ground in those parts of Italy where uh, you know uh, work is scarce and hard to find. It's a systematic invasion of the of the uh, of the pitch by uh, organized crime. Involvement in football was an obvious choice for the mafioso in Italy. There was money to be made in ticket touting and merchandising, while the ultra groups were full of young impressionable men who were unafraid of violence. In the same way that the right-wing groups have used football as a way of furthering their own cause, so too have Italy's criminals. I don't think the football fans have just got involved in that sector. I think there are much more people who want to uh, uh, want to promote a, a business venture. And, and they see football as a great way of getting in on it. Uh, Boyocchi, for example, uh, and one of the ta- one of the wiretaps, he boasts that he earns uh, 80,000 a month from the reselling of tickets and from illegal parking outside the, the San Siro. So I don't, I don't think Boyocchi was terribly involved. Uh, interest, he might have been interested in football too. One of the thing is, no doubt, that a lot of the uh, the ultras are, are very interested in football, and, and the only thing that matters to them, to some extent, is that the their club wins but the people who exploited like Boyocchi it's a business for them and that's been one of the problems uh, for uh, Italian football over the last 30 years at least that clubs you know particularly traditionally particularly when they're playing away games they rely on their fans turning up and give them you know you need fans in a away match. We all know that. And, you know, the fans began to realise, well, geez, if we don't go, our lads are under more pressure, you know? So it's in the club's interest to, to, to make sure we turn up. So give us a free ticket. Pay for our flights to the away UEFA Cup game in, in Greece, you know? Things like that. Who's Vittorio Boyocchi? Now, Boyocchi, he's now dead because he got killed in the Mafia killing in about October... Uh, last uh, last uh, October. But the point about his killing last October is this. This is October of this season. This uh, he gets killed. This guy in a, in a mafia hit in central Milan, like three or four people on motorcycles, you know, pull up beside him and hit him five times. It's a complete classic mafia hit job. And um, uh, Boyocchi turns out to be uh, indeed he's he's one of the capo uh, capi of the uh, ultras at, at Inter in, in, a, in a section of the ultras called the Boys, and. Uh, it turns out that he had offered to uh, get involved in negotiations with Vieri and try and basically all he wanted to do was to get the exclusivity of distribution of the beer in Calabria 
uh, for his friends in the uh, in Dranga. This is a guy, Bayoki is a guy who has um, had links with the Indrangada, Cosa Nostra and, and, and others. And he's also, uh, just by the way, done something like 26 years in prison for a variety of crimes that go from the drug trafficking to kidnapping to uh, violent threats, etc. And, and the, the point about that is that because he's such a big figure amongst the fans, the fans, by way of showing a mark of respect to him, uh, on the night of the killing, which was the night that Inter were playing Sampdoria, right? They uh, climbed up into the Secunda Niela, second part of the uh, stands, and forced everybody off. They said, as a matter of interest, you've all got to go home now. Now, a lot of the people there were not ultra. They were just ordinary football fans. In, and they uh, didn't feel terribly happy about having to, you know, travel miles to see the match, paid a lot of money for the ticket, and they had to be kicked out by these thugs. But they were kicked out by the thugs and they were forced to leave the match. That is an extraordinary level of infiltration and control of the Inter fans. And it's something that's passed in Italy relatively unnoticed. It seems to me a most, most serious event. This was a highlight clip from episode three of our podcast On the Right Wing with me and Nicole. This week's episode is focused on Italy, the birthplace of fascism, the role it played in the growth of the league under Mussolini, and the role that organised crime now plays within the football ultra groups. Available now to download on The42. Subscribe at the42.ie forward slash podcasts.